This is Tracy Arrow. We are live. Don't you love live shows? Don't you love live shows? Tracy, what we get to do is we get to just roll with the punches. We just get to just do our thing. So my name is Tracy Harrell, and this is Bigger Than Me. Thank God for the power of editing. So we'll edit all of the shenanigans out. And today we actually get to talk to Tracy Stone. And Tracy Stone is actually one of So You have a book that's out. I'm going to ask you to talk about your book because can you hear me well? You lovely lady. You can hear me? I can. Excellent. So we're going to pretend like this is the brand new beginning of the show. Hey, Tracy, how are you? Great to have you on today. <laughs> Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So thanks. Uh, thanks to the universe bringing us together in a prior book, actually two prior books, Ignite Happiness and Ignite Possibilities. We are bonded for life. And we've been able to connect on a number of different topics. And one I want to talk about today is your book. So we're going to focus on you. I'm live. We're live. I'm live in Vegas today, guys. So that's part of the reason we're maybe having some technical difficulties. So we're going to put the camera on you today, Tracy, and have you tell us a little bit about, we'll start with you telling us about your new book that's out. What is it called? And what was your motivation for this book? Okay, thanks for that, Tracy. So my new book is coming out on Saturday the 18th, less than a week, uh, the big launch, and it's called Love Remains, A Guide Through Grief. So as you can tell from the title, it's not a drama, it's not a comedy of any kind, it's not fiction. This is a, a very heartfelt book that was written after the passing of my very beloved father who passed away sadly in October of just over a year ago. And after he passed and kind of during those difficult months towards the end, I noticed how hard it was on not just those of us who were very, very, very close to him, but on so many other people who are losing a loved one. So I wanted to write this book to be a guide through grief. And I want it to be instrumental in helping people to go on that journey and to have tools and support that help you to feel less alone, less broken, and more ready to, to recognize that even when somebody you love so dearly passes, that the love remains. Hence the title, Love Remains. I love that. Tracy, I'm going to have you just tell us, what are some of the key lessons learned? Just talk it out. Today's your show. My background noise is probably going to be crying things out. Take it over, my dear. This is this is your 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 forty minutes. We'll we'll cut over at um, fifteen minutes before the end of the show, and we'll go to Africans on the East Side. But let's just have you talk. Tell people what's going on. What were the key learnings? Tell us what. Use this as a book launch kickoff and do your thing. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. Uh, so you know, it was a very um, easy decision that I made to write this book it just it started so naturally I just started writing about what it was to lose somebody very dear to you now also I guess it the perspective that I have on it might be a little bit different to some people's because I have for the last number of years worked as a clinical hypnotherapist so I have been spending this time working with my clients, whether they are corporate and business clients to find what's blocking them in their success, 
whether it's my individual clients who are looking to get rid of the limiting beliefs that stand between them and happiness, them and wealth, them and success, them and great health. So my perspective is also colored in managing grief by the years I've spent being a therapist. Now, before being a therapist, I had spent 30 plus years in the corporate world solving problems. So I'm still solving problems today and helping people to navigate the very, very rocky journey of grief is a problem that needs to be solved because I really did notice that the more I looked around me, the more suffering I could see in people, they felt lost, they felt broken. And I noticed that the help just wasn't out there for them. So when I started looking up what books were there around to help people, particularly thinking of my mother, my mother was left without her husband of 54 years. They had been together for 56 years and were utterly devoted to each other. And she was suddenly left on her own after so many years, so many decades of having somebody who had her back the whole time. And it's a very different world for her. So when I looked to see what help is available, there was surprisingly little. So I started looking up books. Now, my mum is not an avid reader of books, but I wanted to get some kind of help from somewhere. And there wasn't very much. Now, there are plenty of books on grief. But what I found was that primarily the books on grief that are out there cover kind of one of two different routes. One route that they go for is the, the very theoretical perspective of grief. So these books are generally written by psychotherapists, by psychologists, by people who know the very technical aspect and impact of grief. But to a huge degree, while they might quote an awful lot of studies and a lot of technicalities, those kind of books I felt were really lacking a lot on the connection, on the compassion piece, and they were much more pragmatic. Now, when you've lost somebody, you're not feeling particularly pragmatic. So they're a little bit difficult to connect to those kind of books. The other type of book that I found were the stories. So very many of the books out there on grief are the story of, I fell in love with this person. We connected. It was love at first sight. We've been together for so long. He or she got sick. This was the journey of the sickness. They passed away. This was the difficulty of dealing with it. And it's just that one story all the way through. And you're just kind of listening to one person's story of their life. And as nice as that is, I recognize that that was probably not the thing that is going to help a lot of other people. It'll help some for sure. But there's a, a gap in between these two different perspectives and I thought, I want to do something different here that is going to truly help people to both connect emotionally, to be heard, to feel that they understand the stories being told in the book and to learn how and why grief exists in their life. What is the role of grief? What does it do? How, why does it help you? Because it actually does help. It's there for a reason. So there is a lot of sharing of that perspective of how and why grief is there but then there's tools and techniques that i call baby steps because look nobody who's going through grief is ready to take a huge step forward into the future yet it's very hard to do that so people want to be able to make tiny little baby steps because anything else is too intimidating so every chapter in this book 
has got part of our story as a family of the lead up to my dad passing. And it's very raw, it's very emotional, it's definitely pouring out the reality of it. But that then turns into sharing the stories of a few other people who have kindly shared their perspective having gone through grief as well. And these other few people that I've shared their stories, they're at different stages of grief and it's dipping into their lives and showing what it was for them. Who did they lose? How did it happen? What has it meant to them? What did it change in their life? And what lessons did they learn? How did they move themselves along the journey of grief? So it's peppered with those stories as well because people need to hear more than one story. It can get a little bit tedious otherwise. And then you've got all of those baby steps that are so enriching. They're comforting, they're connecting, they're giving resilience. They're truly resilience building exercises in every chapter that help people to go on that journey just a little bit further, a little step at a time, baby steps to help you to build up the muscle, to become secure in yourself and to ultimately recognize that no matter who you have lost, the love you shared with them remains. And that is the true outcome of this book. Because when you are grieving, you feel alone and you feel lost and you feel like the love that you shared has disappeared, that security is gone. Now, yes, the person may no longer be there with you, but all of the, the memories, all the stories, all of the lessons they imparted to you, all of the memories that you've shared together, the things that you're going to share on to other people, all of that remains exactly like the love that you shared together. So the book is about helping people to come back to that gradually, step by step. And through the sharing of stories and a little bit of perspective on grief and the exercises to kind of learn how to cope and how to feel stronger, how to feel resilient and to build your own guide to help you through grief on your terms. So there was a lot of learnings to come through that. And, and I built those from my background as a hypnotherapist, my background also as a coach, helping people to overcome their problems. And my background now as someone who lost somebody very pivotal in her life. So maybe I'll share, I can't hear you at the moment, Tracy. So I'm going to share a little bit more. So the book navigates its way through sharing in the first couple of chapters the very in-depth story of losing my loved one, my father. And it's very inspirational from that perspective because you can really see in those chapters the love that was shared between us, the devotion that was there. Now, as you move on from chapter two onwards, it starts to get peppered with all of these other stories of other people sharing their perspective on how they coped going through grief and all of those wonderful baby steps that take you through. Now, one of the baby steps, just to kind of mention what some of the exercises are like for people to expect, the very first baby step was one about what we call managing my spoons. Now, that sounds like a bit of a strange concept, it's a strange name. But this actually came from another lady uh, who had been suffering from a chronic illness. And she came up with this concept of being able to explain 
to a friend. They were sitting in a cafe and her friend said, I don't understand this autoimmune thing. I don't know how this affects you. Can you explain it to me? And she grabbed all the spoons in this cafe and she said, let's imagine that these spoons, and she was laying them out on the table, that each one of these spoons represents a unit of energy, my energy. And everything that I do in my day will take up an amount of energy. Now, particularly for somebody who has a chronic illness, much in the same way as somebody who is grieving. Someone who is grieving has low energy, has got no extra to give, and they have to be able to manage that energy. So this was a great analogy for it. There is only so much of you to go around, particularly when you are running on near to empty in your energy. So these spoons, the concept is, if I imagine that I have all these spoons laid out and each one represents a unit of energy, I have to figure out knowing that I might only have 12 spoons of energy in any given day. And there will be no more until I have rested the full night and come back the next morning. So if I recognize that even having a shower is going to consume one or two or even three spoons of energy, I have to take that into account. If I know that making a conference call is going to consume two units of my energy, I can only arrange so many calls in a day. If I know that going out and doing the grocery shopping is going to consume three units of my energy, I have to know that if I have only got, for example, 12 units of energy to give, and if a shower is going to take one or two or three, depending on how you feel, you would know how many units of energy a shower might take. If a shower is gonna take two units, and if you're going to then go and do the grocery shopping, and that's going to take up three units. You're already down by five out of your 12 units. So you've got to plan your day to know how am I going to get through all day long and manage my spoons of energy. And that perspective will change over time as you build resilience and as you get a bit stronger and feel a little bit more like yourself as you go further through the journey of grief. But particularly when you're really strongly connected into your grief, your energy supply is low. So it's very, very useful to think of it in terms of if I have 12 units or 12 spoons of energy in any given day, how am I going to use those knowing that I do not have any more units of energy to give. So spread them out wisely. Don't take on tasks that you don't need to take on. Be very, very mindful about how you use that energy. So that's one of the examples of one of the many baby steps. Another example of a baby step is learning how to reframe the thoughts that we use, learning how to fill my mind with positive talk. Now, this is so much more important and so much bigger than it might sound superficially. It's not just a case of let's just talk positively. What's more fundamental in this is where I get to explain to people in the book that your mind is completely controlled by the words that you use. And it's so important to choose your words very, very wisely to give your mind the clarity that it needs in order to give you the energy 
the resilience, the strength, the compassion, the love, the self-respect, the self-esteem that you need in order to go through this journey of grief. So there's an exercise in there that helps people to learn how to reframe their thoughts, reframe the words that they use and move away from the words that tell me I'm broken, I'm damaged beyond repair, because those are the things that you feel very often when you are suffering a great loss in your life. You feel life will never be the same. So you say, my life will never be the same. And it won't ever be the same. But it's learning how to program your mind with a different perspective of that. It might be, my life will never be the same, but I am strong. It might be, my life will never be the same because I, I love the person that I lost so dearly, but I have that love still within me. So it's bringing back the words to remind you and to build the mental muscle that tells you that you can and you will get through this. But it is important to recognize that grief is a journey that you, if you are encountering grief, it is a journey that you must go through. It's not a journey that you get to sidestep and say, oh, I'm just not going to do that today. Some people never go through grief. A lot of people will find there is no grief for them. And it might hit them years later, or it might never hit them. And that's okay too. And that's also covered in the book to explain that everybody grieves in a different way, that the grief journey for every single person is entirely unique. And it's so important to not beat yourself up, to not give out to yourself, to not say, I'm not crying enough, I should be crying more. Or to say, I'm crying too much, I'm going to drive everybody around me crazy, so I should just go and hide in my room and cry on my own. Everybody's journey in grief is unique. And the way you are experiencing it is unique to you. It's special for you. And it's exactly the way it's meant to be for you. Tracy, can you hear me now? I can. You can? So you're frozen for me, so I know I'm still having some technical issues. Um, I don't know if you could read the the first uh, the poem that you asked me to write for your book. Is it appropriate for us to share that? I would love to. Or would you're you frozen for me. To, um, I can hear you, so I will I will do that. Let me just open up. And, I'm going to share with all of your lovely listeners. Just getting into the right page. So, our wonderful Tracy Harrell wrote a beautiful poem, which is, I'm so proud to say, the very first poem. Every chapter in the book starts with a poem, a carefully selected poem that resonates with the content in that chapter. And the very first opening poem in the book is one that was written by our lovely Tracy Harrell. So thank you, Tracy, from the bottom of my heart for that. And I would love to share that with your listeners. So thank you for that. Now, it would be lovely if it was in Tracy's voice because she has written it. But I'm going to, to steal that thunder for her and read that poem in the meantime. So this poem belongs at the beginning, as I say, of chapter one. Chapter one is titled Losing HGLD. 
Now that sounds a little strange, but you'll have to read the book to learn a little bit more, or maybe we have time shortly to explain what HGLD means. But it's the beginning of the book, it's the beginning of my sharing of the tumultuous loss that encountered my life last year. So this poem is particularly soulful, it's particularly deep and really does share that love of losing somebody, the love that you shared together. So Tracy's poem is called Reflections. Here we go. Dad, your smile meant everything. You helped me grow and spread my wings. Would this loss be something I could endure? Deep in my heart, I could not be sure. After time that seemed like it would not end, waiting for the inevitable to begin. In less than one day, we were home without dad. He no longer suffered, but we were sad. Saying goodbye was hollow and touch-free. That's just how it had to be. I couldn't allow myself to thinking space. We kept busy and carried ourselves with grace. We laughed and cried all day long. The tears, sorry, the day was filled with beautiful song. Weeping for what had been a delight. Would I make it through the night? I listened to my body and held our memories tight. I knew that in time we would be all right. And that's the beautiful poem from Tracy Harrell that is at the very beginning of this book that I'm so proud of and very grateful for Tracy understanding the chapter, understanding the book and understanding the deep connection that I shared with my wonderful dad. So it's a beautiful start to the book. Tracy, anything else, anything else you want to share with people about what they can do in the moment? What can they do when they we're all experiencing losses in many different ways? And I'm, what would you share with all the love and expertise that you have in your heart? What would you share with people about what they can do? Thank you, my lovely. So I think one important thing is to realize, most importantly, whatever you're going through, whether it is the, the grief of losing somebody very close to you, whether it's the, the grief of the end of a relationship, whether it's a, another type of sadness, any type of loss that you are feeling that is weighing down on you. One of the most important things to do is to first of all, learn to accept and love yourself. Because when you accept yourself as lovable, when you accept yourself as valid, as worthy, as important, as beautiful, as smart, as perfect exactly as you are, when you recognize that you on your own have something to offer the world, your friends, your family, your colleagues, the wider world around you, when you recognize that you are strong, that you are wonderful, that you are worthy, and that you are good enough, that you are enough in every way, that is the beginning of learning how to live life with joy and with love and in a way that makes you, again, I must use the word again, resilient. It doesn't demean the loss. It doesn't take away the pain that you feel when you lose someone special. But it's important to remind yourself 
I am a good person. I am worthy of love. And I respect myself. I value myself. I'm strong. And fill yourself with all of the things that you know you want to be, that you are, that you need to be. Accept yourself as that. And that is a very critical starting point. Because otherwise, you can go down a road of feeling that because that relationship didn't work and you were alone, because that person has sadly passed and you are alone, it makes you feel lost and broken and lonely and alone. But if you know that within yourself, you are entirely good enough, you are lovable, you are worthy, you are strong, you are resilient, you are smart, you are helpful, you're important in people's lives, that you have things to share, things to offer. When you accept those things about yourself, it gives you a purpose and a role instead of beginning to believe that because the relationship didn't work, because the job didn't work, because someone has passed, because I'm grieving, that I am alone. So that's one important thing to make sure you allow in that you are strong, that you are wonderful, that you are worthy. And you do that by filling your mind, by filling your words, by using your words constantly to talk about the thing that you want in life, not the thing that you don't want. So if we focus our words all the time on saying, for example, again, I am broken, I am lost, I will never overcome this your mind picks up on that because everything that you say is accepted by your mind as your direction. It's accepted as your gospel. It's accepted as your divine purpose and right. And your mind is there to say yes to everything. So if you say, I am broken, I am damaged beyond repair, your mind will hear those words, accept those words as your truth, Accept those words as everything in your purpose, and it will go about giving you evidence, giving you proof that that is true. So you need to learn how to program your mind with the right words. Again, like we said earlier, it might be instead of saying, I'm broken, I am lost, I'm damaged, I cannot handle this, I cannot get through, I cannot cope. It might be instead saying, I miss him so much. I love him so much, I miss him so much, but I am strong and I still have life to live. Even when you don't necessarily feel that, if you start training your mind to say, this is what I want, I am getting stronger every day. If you say that, you will begin to feel stronger every day. So your mind can only give you outcomes based on the words that your mind hears you use. And that's the same whether you are using words quietly in your head, the, the thoughts that you've got, or whether it's the words you use out loud. And it's a, a strange one that we often are taught in life to be very, very humble. And it's nice to be humble. But we also take that to an extreme that we shouldn't. So sometimes we will use words about ourselves that are not good, they're not healthy. So we might in conversation say to somebody, no, I'm broken, no, I'm terrible, no, I'm useless at that, because we don't want to sound overly proud. But the mind hears those words and it accepts them as your truth. 
and it will reinforce them. So I wonder if any of your listeners have ever noticed that if you start saying I'm terrible at directions or I never forget, I never remember a name. I'm so bad at remembering names. You'll notice that that happens, that you get worse at remembering names. And it's because your mind is programmed to give you what you want. So if your mind can only give you outcomes based on the words that you are using, make sure you fill your mind with the right words. And that doesn't again mean that you pretend that you have not suffered a great loss, whether that is the loss of someone who's passed or whether it is the loss of a friendship or a relationship or a job or an animal, a pet. It's not saying that you do not suffer that great loss. It's acknowledging it, but also saying, despite that, I am still going to carry on and do their memory justice. I'm still going to carry on and be the worthy, caring, smart person that I am. Fill your mind with the right words. Teach it what you want instead of teaching it the things that you don't want to feel. So that's really important to do as well. Can you hear me, Tracy? Yep. You can hear me? <laughs> I'm so sorry for my technical difficulties today, okay. but I knew you would I knew you were gonna take over the show and just do your <laughs> thing. And, and I'm so excited to talk to you for your book. Um, Nathan, I think we have two more guests who are ready to join. I think the Africans on the east side are ready to join. Tracy, you and I will get back together. We'll talk some more. For anyone who has been watching us do the weight loss and, and all the other diversity stuff, FYI, we Tracy is going to be a, an amazing resource for that. I'll schedule some more time with her. But with my technical difficulties, I don't want to mess up anybody's show. I just wanted you to talk about your book today, and I'm so glad we did that. Now we're going to bring on Africans on the east side. Nathan, let me know when you're ready. Tracy, I love you dearly. It's time to Uh, move east. This is Bigger Than Me with AOE. Hey, Adam, you look amazing. Thank you. (laughs) You always look so good. For our African party today. Who's going to be joining you today? Nathan, we don't. Is there someone else that's going to be joining us? Dr. Ben Robinson should be on the line. Nathan, Hello, help us out here. Is that person available on StreamYard? Not yet, but I expect we okay, should well, be Adam, wow. seeing him shortly. Still got about five minutes until 2.45. Adam, we're going to go with you. Like We're going to make this uh, an amazing recording. So we're going to mm-hmm. take me off of the recording. It's just going to be about you. Talk to your people today. Tell them whatever you want to say. This is the this is the Africans on the East Side show, and Tracy's gonna be out because I don't want my video technology issues to mess you up. So Nathan's gonna cut me out, and it's gonna be all you. You ready to talk to your people? Yes, I'm ready. Let me just te- text Ben that I am on. Baby, you got this. All right, we're ready to go. Hello, people. All right, let's go ahead. This is Africans on the East Side. Hi, hello, like as we've been coming here every Sunday for 15 minutes, just talking about Africans on the East Side. We started having some focus groups and they have been um, amazing. People come out and we talked about what we need to do and what needs to happen. Um, I think the change starts with us, all just digging deep within ourselves and believing ourselves um, so that we can get the work done. 
Um, right now, we don't need to be silent. We need people to hear our voices and know that we are out there and every voice should be heard. So one of my um, researchers, Dr. Ben Robinson, should be on, but I don't see her. So I'll continue talking until I see her. So um, I'm excited again um, to be here. Send us questions, send us anything that you think we should do and to improve. Like I always said, African in, inside, uh, Eastside was created um, for the for, uh, forgotten ones, the people, the immigrants, the ESL learners, um, and people who just don't fit in. Um, we are right, no any other organization. We welcome everybody and everybody is welcome to AOE. Bring your dream, bring your joy, and be there with us to do the work. And I would love it if I can see Ben. She's not here right now, but we're working on getting her on. So feel free to keep on okay. talking right now. Okay, that's neat. All right. So um, like I said, again, Africans in the East Side is here. We want to teach financial literacy, empower our youths, empower the whole family as a whole to have success. Because living in a country that's unknown, most parents um, don't have the chance to go in and support their kids because they don't understand the system. But we are here to teach them how that is done. And also the criminal justice, mental health, anything that they don't understand, we are here to help them. And also um, help our youths to stay on the narrow path and keep on doing good. And as we wait for Benetta to join in the meeting here, we got Karen Smith-Fraser, another member of AOE, one of the core staff members. Welcome, Karen. Hello. Go ahead, Karen. Hello. Hi. I just wanted to, uh, uh, I noticed that Tracy was talking a lot about um, the influence uh, of family in our lives and losses. Um, I just wanted to say this week has been a special week for both Adam and I. Uh, we celebrate our mothers and uh, really just how much of an influence they've had to the work, uh, the community work that we are doing yeah, now. You are not on our so. I, I think, uh, I think, you know, the influence of family um, can really uh, make or break you. And um, thankfully, um, Adam and I have had parents that have instilled in us the need to um, to reach out and to, you know, as Tracy would say, uh, you know, remind us that the world is bigger than us. Um, but uh, that's what Africans on the East Side is. It's an extension to, to everything, um, extension to the good that we have that we share with others. Um, I think I saw Ben come on. I'll wait until she, okay, there she goes. Um, ben, can you hear us? Okay, are you? Yes. Okay. Um, so we're just coming on and we just have a few minutes to talk about AOE, but I wanted to introduce you and just have you talk a little bit about um, how you got involved with AOE. Uh, this is Dr. Ben Robinson and she is our uh, uh, senior research person. And uh, hey, Ben, let's tell us a little about yourself. Hi everyone, good afternoon. Um, and thanks for having me 
on this afternoon's programming. Uh, I'm Benetta Robinson. I go by Ben, so feel free to call me whichever. Um, I actually met Adam almost a few years ago when I moved to Seattle from Mississippi. So I've come to know Adam as a union organizer as well as a community organizer. Um, Adam and I connected early on, but we actually lost touch and then got reconnected. And I think that's a testament to divine timing. So after we reconnected, Adam informed me about the work that she was doing with parents, guardians, and caretakers of Bellevue scholars. And she was like, hey, Ben, I would like for you to join me for one of our meetings. And this was during the peak of the COVID pandemic. So of course it was virtual, but even virtually I was able to feel the energy and passion of the folks on the call. And I was moved by what this group of people who call themselves Africans on the East Side was endeavoring to achieve, which is to improve the learning journey and the outcomes of BIPOC students in the Bellevue School District. So Adam offered the group, and I remember this specifically, she said, you know, bring your, come as your authentic self, whatever you want to do, however you can help this organization, feel free to offer that skill set. Um, so I wanted to really um, serve in whatever capacity I could, um, but I had the opportunity to pull from my um, professional skill set as a researcher, but also, you know, my my passion in connecting with communities. So I, I came to this group as a researcher. I now serve as a research consultant. Um, I've done this in the past in numerous numerous roles, mainly focused on environmental justice. Um, but luckily, I was able to fit both my my professional skill set and my passion into this work. So today, I'm working with Adam and the AOE team to not only understand the impact of COVID, um, the pandemic short-term and long-term on our scholars, their families, households, and communities, but also to identify the most effective approaches for long-term success, um, whether that's the traditional pathway or non-traditional mm -hmm. for our, our scholars. And this is, I mean, this is intentional. Um, the work is intentionally slow so we can dive deep. And I think that has been a really uh, important um, difference between some of some other organizations that jump in and just you know try to do uh, uh, do programming right away, um, and I think that's in some ways it's been a challenge because people are like, okay, what do you have? What do you have? And whereas we are doing a lot of listening, we're going to where people mm -hmm. are. We're not just inviting, but we're going, you know, going out and about and into the community and um, to to dig dig deeper. Um, and so, um, so this last week, a uh, few weeks, we've had a few focus groups. Um, ben, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I can, Karen. Thank you. Um, but even before like digging into that piece, I want to just uh, just really touch on the importance of like just research overall. Like we use research to help us understand the unknown, but also to help us understand the things that we think we know a little bit better. And when it comes to groups like AOE, it's the combination of research and organizing that really drives this process. And one of the like key value um, tenets for AOE is to make sure that we are conduct conducting research in a way that's culturally respective, that's community-led, 
And so we're applying that local context. We're building lasting relationships and we are identifying like ways to support our scholars, our communities, and, you know, the family members of our scholars. Um, I work largely, largely on a body of work that's funded under Best Art for Kids. And our approach is really a three-prong approach where we are doing a deep exploration to identify what are the priorities and major concerns of our scholars, their parents, guardians, caretakers, anyone who has a stake in the success of our scholars. Uh, we're digging deeply to understand what those are. We are using We've used the survey instrument tool, which is very common, of course, in research, but we're also using focus group, another very common way to um, gather information. But let me just say, we're not just extracting information. We want to make sure we're steering clear of really, of, of using communities as just a source to extract information. We are connecting communities. Once we identify their priorities and their concerns, we are connecting them to resources um, to, to bridge that gap. And so I just wanted to um, say that piece. But we're doing focus groups and we're having deep conversations from those priorities, top priorities that were uh, identified in the survey. And then later on, that third piece of the work then builds out workshops where we're connecting uh, our community members and scholars to resources um, and other like service providers. That's what uh, you mentioning the connections uh, just in the focus group. We had so many people from the community that either have encountered each other in the past for some reason and were reconnected in that focus group. We identified uh, mental health care providers, we other community uh, workers and organizations that that a lot of the people in the group didn't even know existed. So just in that one focus group, the two focus groups, groups, we made connections. I mean, community members made connections that they didn't have before. And I, 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 I didn't expect that. I mean, I don't know what I expected exactly. It was a nice, um, you know, like icing on the cake. Um, you know, it was more than just extracting information. It was connecting community, just like you said. So um, that's that's so important to the work, just to make it um, yeah. just so much community more Community is very, very important. If you are doing the work and the community don't have voices, um, you can be successful at it. And I've been out there doing it, talking with them. And that's why I love what I do. And what, that's why I love my team, because they all um follow that passion of mine and we just doing the work it's um it's hard but it's something that needs to be done and you have to be very careful keeping their human humanity and also making sure that you're showing them compassion and also that they have a sense of belonging and then i think then you hit the nail on the coffin because those are the people who we need to attract and we always seem to forget about them exactly um, I don't know how much time we have left, but we're going to keep going. Um, I think um, uh, earlier in the show, I may have mentioned it when I first came on, Tracy was, uh, I think, I think the other lady's name was Tracy also. They were talking about um, the uh, impact of grief, um, it just of, you know, having people in our lives um, that has had, you know, great influence in our lives and um losing those people 
and just how they've impacted um, our lives. And uh, I just shared a little bit that, um, you know, I was talking about my mother's birthday was this week, last week. I think Adam's mother's birthday was uh, this week also. And uh, my mother passed away in uh, 1994. And uh, her legacy lived on in her eight children, uh, me included. And uh, just that sense of service uh, was implanted in my life and in my siblings' lives. And um, I think that the work we do as I'm a nurse and I'm a community uh, uh, volunteer and uh, uh, organize and working with AOE. Um, I have brothers who are probation officers. I have brothers who are who are teachers. All of us have done some kind of service, and I just wanted to, you know, um, ask you in what ways have you know important people in your life kind of helped you land where you are now? Um, Adam or Ben, you can. For me, it's always been my dad. Um, I also lo lost my dad, um, but um, he always have been inspirational in my life in anything that I do. Because when you move to a country and you don't know what you're doing, I think it's best to lean back to your parents and also my mom. I think people don't know this, but every morning or every night we pray, she prays for me and then I continue doing the work. But um, those those are the influence that makes me want to do great and want African on the east side to be the great the greatest thing and also for my dad's legacy to live on because he always likes empowering people, giving families what they need. And I think that that's what instilled me in doing this job. And that's why I love what I do for AOE. I agree. I, I would echo the same sentiment my parents, uh, my mom, um, very early on, my dad who passed away during the pandemic, um, they were both very instrumental in building out just my my long-term commitment to public service. And I, th I think just thinking about an external factor that influences me or I just keep in my mind as I'm doing this type of work that could be very traumatic I think about there's a song and it's 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 really on my personal soundtrack. <laughs> um, it's "Sweet Honey in the Rock," and the song was made based on um, a quote from the late great Ella Baker. And it's um, "He who believes in freedom cannot rest." Mm -hmm. So I know even though we're tired, we get tired of doing this mm -hmm. work. We get tired of having to do this work, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, if you believe in freedom, if you believe in the betterment of community, you mm -hmm. can't rest and you have to keep going. Wow. Yeah. I think you nailed it. That is, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's what keeps us going. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's not just about our children and our families. Um, you know, I think about, you know, we've, we've been blessed with parents that have mm -hmm. uh, left you know, example and loved us and, you know, desired for us to serve others. And, you know, other people are looking, you know, other youth scholars, even uh, other families, um, you know, that we connect with, they look at, you know, are we living our truth? Are we living what we preach? And I think that's the challenge is that we we want to be that example, um, not, not to show off, but uh, we've been given a lot of gifts and um, our responsibility is to continue to give back, um, you know, not out of guilt, but just 
out of love. You know, this is this is part of who we are. Um, is there anything that's uh, upcoming in AOE that um, we want to just make sure folks know? Um, we got a couple of minutes left. I will say that right now we are um, after uh, conducting the focus groups. We are uh, have have uh, started to narrow down um, the topics um, that have had bubbled up in the in our conversations, and we'll be preparing programming. Um, but uh, just so you can stay abreast of what's happening with AOE, we have a website, um, www.africansontheeastside.org. Um, and we have a Facebook page and Instagram. And um, of course, we're on It's All Bigger Than Me for at least next few weeks. Um, where, you know, the last 15 minutes, we try to just, you know, remind folks that we are here, we are here to stay, uh, we are here to serve, um, and, uh, you know, just really uh, looking forward to connecting with more families. And if you think uh, we are located in Bellevue, however, uh, there is no one that, uh, you know, we turn away if there's a need and if we're able to help then we will, you know, and we can't help, then we will point you in the right direction. Uh, is there anything else um, you want to say, Adam, before we uh, all, check well, out? All I, um, I'm all dressed up and ready to go to do some community Christmas party with the West African Coalition. That's another great community that we work, um, we finally are a member of, and they're having the Christmas party, and I can't wait to go meet the youths and all that community and just feel the love, feel the excitement and celebrate the end of the year. And um, like I said to you all, blessings, have a great day and never, never underestimate what you can do. And when, like I said, when you step forward, just continue stepping forward, don't step back. All right. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you.